Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Today's passage is from Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2-6. Refuge Church, and um, I'm going to be uh, bringing God's word to you this morning. Uh, the uh, I was just thinking, there's three little boys over here. People can't see there's three little boys. Four, three little boys that are playing in the fountain, and I, I am no competition for cute kids. So uh, if, if they come back, do your best to pay attention to me. But if you don't, I get it. It's fine. Um, it's totally understandable. Um, also, I am not used to preaching from a mic. Like this, like I pace, and so if every so often you hear me go somewhere, and then I'm back, uh, it's not because I stopped talking; it's just because I pace a little bit. So anyway, um, so one thing that y'all, some of you probably know this about me, some of you don't know this about me. I was uh, before I went to seminary, I got my master's degree. I was an art student, and uh, I went to art school, and uh, I was never very good at art, so don't ask me why I did that, but it seemed like something to do. It was not boring. Um, it was interesting. I got to do lots of cool classes. I got to learn to weld. And if there's nothing else that I learned in art school, welding was, was worth it. Um, but the other thing that I think was probably most fascinating about art school is the people that I got to meet, right? Um, artists can be different, and uh, they, they're often interesting. They often have come from different backgrounds and interesting backgrounds. And so I, I met all sorts of people. One guy that I met, his name was Gary. I met Gary my second year of art school. And he was a little bit different than all the other students that I ran into. Most of the students were, were younger, my age, you know, in their 20s and so on. But Gary was about 20 years older than any of us. And it wasn't just that that made him unique or made him different. Uh, one of the things that made Gary unique, or one of the things I think that was most unique about Gary was that he, he wasn't in a hurry to graduate. He didn't ever seem to be lacking for money. And yet he didn't really have any visible forms of income. And that always caused a bit of curiosity for all of us, right? I mean, we all either had our parents paying for it, or we were working a job, or, or maybe both, or whatever. We had loans. But, but Gary just seemed to be relaxed about all that. He just seemed to be able to, I don't know, you know, cruise along and not really be bothered by money or any of the things that go along with that. And that caused all of us to, to speculate, right? As people often do, we speculate about, about what people do or about who they are, about who they were in their past lives. And we started thinking there are lots of different theories of why Gary didn't need to work for a living, why he could be a student. Uh, one, of the, one of the less likely theories, but the most popular theory, was that he was a government agent. You know, he was there, he was undercover, he was, 
He was keeping a low profile, being an art student. Because who would look for a government agent in art school, right? I mean, it's just, it's just not, it's not the type of place where you would ever think, oh, hey, I'm going to go find a government agent there. So that, that was one of the things. And he also drove a black suburban, and, and he would disappear from time to time. He'd just go missing. And we'd go, huh, haven't seen Gary in a week. I wonder where he is. And then he'd come back, and we'd say, hey, we missed you. Where have you been? And he'd been like, eh, you know, nothing. I was just around. And so he never gave straight answers, never did anything that, that, that sort of, or gave us anything that sort of uh, alluded to what he did or helped us understand better what he did. Now, some of the more popular and more plausible theories also included things like, um, uh, he was from a wealthy family. That's reasonable. You know, he inherited some money somewhere along the way. Uh, Gary made a lot of money in the stock market. He didn't look like a stockbroker because he had really long hair. Uh, once he tried to have him in dreadlock, uh, dreadlocks, which was, it wasn't good on him. You know, he, he just was a little, little bit too old for that. Um, and uh, we also thought maybe he was an airline pilot. Or we consider the possibility that maybe he, he won a large settlement in a lawsuit. There were all these theories, and there was this mystery surrounding Gary, this mystery that we just couldn't grasp, we couldn't understand. And, and, and that's kind of what mysteries are like, right? Mysteries are things that, that we, we like in life. We, we, we want to figure, what, figure out what they mean and how they, uh, how they play a role and all those sorts of things. And so... This was a mystery that we never seemed to be able to solve, and it just kept us, it kept us interested. It made Gary an interesting, interesting person. Now, mystery is, is really a common theme in Paul's letter, uh, letters. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that Paul brings up on a regular basis. For example, in uh, Romans, he brings it up two times. In 1 Corinthians, he brings it up four times. In Ephesians, he brings it up seven times. And even in Colossians, this book that we've been going through for the past... Uh, two and a half months now. He, he, he brings it up another four times. Mystery is, is a big theme in Paul's writings, in Paul's letters. And in our culture, mystery is something to be solved. But in Greek culture, it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily something to be solved, not like a puzzle that we, we sort of look at uh, mysteries in that way. But, but in the Greek culture, mysteries were secrets that needed to be revealed. Now, it may sound like the same thing, but it's a little different. One, one is about something that's revealed to us, and the other is about something that we find, or something that we are able to find, or um, uh, something that we're able to solve, I guess would be a better way of saying it. So it's not a puzzle to be solved, but a secret to be revealed. It often refers to religious secrets in the Greek life. It often referred to secrets that were uh, part of the temple cults and, and part of various religions. It was just something that, that went along with religion on a, on a regular basis. Um, it was something that only a select few would ever, ever know. And that's called Gnosticism, right? Uh, it, Gnosticism was the belief that uh, this knowledge, this very special knowledge that was, that was revealed to certain people, that was how you could be saved. And and that was sort of the thing that, that the Colossians were up against. They were being taught that they needed this secret knowledge. They needed this secret that, that they couldn't find necessarily on their own, but a secret that had to be revealed to them. It was a mystery. And it, it dominated thought in Greek culture long before it was ever really defined and, 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 and a word was given to it. Um, and as a result, what Paul is suggesting here in this passage, what he's suggesting in the passage that we're looking at today, is, is entirely to what the, what the Colossians understood. 
it's foreign to what the, the culture around them believed and what the culture around them taught. It just it didn't just contradict uh, uh, what they thought on a day-to-day -day basis, but it actually opposed the cultural norms of Greek culture. It was against everything that, that they were, were led to believe in day-to-day -day life. Kind of like, um, for us, maybe like publicizing your social security number. Who, who, who has ever publicized their social security number, right? You don't put it on the internet for people to see. You don't, you don't write it on the side of your car. You don't hand it out to just anybody because we know that that's a bad thing, right? Right? That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. It's, it's something that's just totally foreign. Why would you do that? It seems totally crazy. But here in Colossians, Paul says that the mystery of Christ has been revealed to the saints. It's been revealed to the saints. Not just something that they had to find, or it's not just something that they found on their own, but it's something that's been revealed to them, given to them as a gift offered to them, you might say. In 4, 2 through 6, Paul says that this mystery is not to be kept to one another. It's not to be kept to ourselves. And we talk about that at the end of every uh, service. You know, God's blessing is not something that we put in our pocket and keep for ourselves. It's something that we give away. And this mystery that has been revealed to us is something that we are called to share with those around us each and every day. That's the gist of today's passage. In every situation, Christians are called to bear witness to the mystery of salvation that's in Christ. We're called to show others that mystery, to, to reveal it to them, to be the means to which Christ's mystery is revealed. It's the idea that, that Paul repeats time and time again. For example, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, Whether you eat, whether you drink, do all things for the glory of God. So, so whether you're working, whether you're playing, whether you're resting, everything that we're to do is supposed to reveal that mystery, to, to, to point people to Christ. Our words, our thoughts, our deeds, all the things that we do should point people to Jesus Christ. Point others to who he is and what he has done for his people. The mystery of salvation in Christ has been revealed to us and we are called to bear witness to that mystery. So in today's text, Paul challenges Christians uh, to be watchful in prayer. To be watchful in prayer. To stay alert, to observe what's happening around us, to pray for those around us, and pray for opportunities, uh, opportunities where we can share the gospel and share this mystery with those around us. Otherwise, I'm going to keep going like this. You won't be able to see me. I'm, I'm short enough as is. I don't want to make it worse by, by having a crash in the middle of the sermon. So, um, this mystery is something that we are called to reveal to those around us, to reveal to the world around us so that they too may know who Christ is. To bear witness to that mystery requires then that we live lives that are saturated in prayer. Bearing, the mystery to the, uh, bearing witness to the mystery of Christ or the mystery of salvation through Christ requires constant prayer, persistent prayer, persevering in prayer. I once heard someone say that, that prayer is the divinely prescribed method of communicating to God. It's, it's God's language that he gives to us for us to communicate to him. And that alone makes it extremely important in the life of the believer. But if we take a quick look at, at the Bible as a whole, we see that, that God tells us 
that prayer is extremely important to our lives. Uh, for, for example, Matthew 6, 9, Jesus indicates that prayer is what deepens our connection to God himself. Romans uh, 8, 26, Paul says that, that prayer bolsters our reliance on the Holy Spirit. When we pray, we actually bolster our reliance on the Holy Spirit and on God. In Matthew 6, 13, uh, we're told that uh, prayer gives us strength and courage to fight off the temptations of Satan. In, in uh, Philippians 4, 6, uh, we're told that it reveals our anxieties and our fears. And finally, in James 1, 5 and 5, 15, we're told that it brings us wisdom and it brings us healing. There are numerous other examples all throughout Scripture, numerous other examples of, of, of how prayer engages us in our faith and, and draws us closer and closer to God. But all that's to say that prayer is extremely important to the life of the believer, to, to our faith and to, to our witness and to all the things that God calls us to do. So in verse 2, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Um, depending on what version, that's what the, the English Standard Version says, but depending on what version you look at, some versions use the word devote. Now, devote is not a, it's not a terrible word to use, or it's not a terrible translation of what's being said here. But the problem with devote is it, it sort of indicates that Paul is saying, start praying, begin your prayer life. But what he's really saying is, continue in your prayer life, further your prayer life, deepen your prayer life. Prayer is something that the Colossians have already been doing. And it's something that they were tempted to give up because of the teaching that they were facing. So Paul's saying, though you were misled by the false teachers, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't act as if it doesn't work. Don't, don't, don't throw it aside as if it's just something that you used to do. Prayer is important to your relationship with God. And it's important to your witness to the salvation through Jesus Christ. So Paul challenges them to, to persevere, to persist in their prayer lives, to continue on in all that they've been doing before. It, it's kind of the way it's kind of the way a parent um, encourages a child in a race, right? Uh, I'm just curious. This is this is something that our school did, and all the schools in the in the city we grew up in did. Uh, when you're in elementary school, did y'all have track days? Field and track days. I see some of you nodding your heads. See, I have, we had a field and track day uh, once a year where where the whole you know, whole grade level would get together and they would they would compete against one another. And um, I don't have the body of a runner, but I'm not so bad in sprints. I'm a little like Gimli, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings. You know, I'm good at short distances, but I'm wasted on long distances. So the 50-yard dash is my thing. I can do it, um, and I can, I, back then when I was much lighter and much younger, uh, much more agile, you might say. I, I could do it well, and I would occasionally win. But if you put me on a long-distance run, my talents are wasted. Uh, unfortunately, everybody in my class felt the same way about the 440. Y'all remember the 440? It was only just it was once around the track. But to a, to a second grader, third grader, fourth grader, that seems like a real huge long way. Uh, I mean, you know, you ever watch an ant crawl across the ground? They're only crawling like a foot, but for them, that's a really long way for them to crawl. So for a kid to run a quarter of a mile, once around the track, it's, it's a really, really long run. But, but there it is. Nobody else wants to do it. Somehow, I get stuck with it. And on race day, I'm off and running. 
And by less than halfway around the track, I am dead last. By three quarters away around the track, a lot of people are finishing. As I come around the last curve, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going to exit right here and stop my heart from wanting to explode and be done with this. Because this is, this is terrible, this is humiliating, I'm so far behind. But my dad was there. My dad took off work for certain things. He took off work for track day because, I don't know, track day was important, I guess. And uh, he, he took off work for track day. And he's standing there in his, in his tie and his white shirt and, uh, and, and, his, and his black pants. And he's yelling, come on, D. He used to call me D. Come on, D. You can do it. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep running. I know you can do it. And I finished. I finished dead last. I didn't, I didn't win anything. But, but I felt like with my dad there cheering me on, there was something... There was something that was pushing me to keep going. Something that, would, that, that kept me striding, even though I just wanted to give up. I just wanted to be done. I just wanted the humility or the, uh, the humiliation to be over. And in essence, that's what Paul's doing here. Right? He's saying, don't give up. It seems hard. Things are, things are hard at times. And people are going to tempt you to, to do other things. And they're going to say, this isn't working. Your faith isn't worth it. Prayer is just useless. Stop trying so hard because you're wasting your time. People are going to say that all the time. But don't give up. Keep running. Keep striving. Keep going. You can do it. Yes, prayer is important to who we are as believers, as those who have been called and saved by Christ. It's, it's important for our connection to Him. It's particularly important to how we witness and how we engage people. Prayer gives us protection against spiritual attacks and deceptions. Jesus told the disciples in Gethsemane, He said, pray so that you won't be tempted. Prayer also enables us to boldly speak the truth in grace. So uh, when the disciples prayed in Acts 4.31, the Holy Spirit enabled them to continue speaking God's word with boldness. So Paul says, continue praying. Continue in your prayer life. Persevere, persist in this, because this is what Christ calls you to do, and this is how He wants you to, to be changed and filled and, and informed and connected to Him so that you can better go out and reach those around you. Notice that Paul doesn't ask them to, to, uh, to relieve his hardship, right? In, uh, in verse 3, he says, Pray that God may open to us a door for the Word. To declare the mystery of Christ. Paul's in prison, but he doesn't, he doesn't say, pray that we get out of prison so we can do this better. He says, pray that this opportunity grows from here. Pray that despite the hardship, that I can continue on faithfully to pursue my Lord and Savior and to, and to reach out to those around me and to tell them about my hope that I have in Christ. Pray to give me opportunities to continue to glorify God in every place. Paul's simple request accomplishes a number of things here. It, it accomplishes a number of things. A, it, it demonstrates his humility and the type of humility that believers are supposed to have. Uh, it also gives the Colossians an opportunity to have their own ministry, to be praying for Paul in, in, in their lives. And it demonstrates how we are to begin to witness, how we are to begin to go out into the world and reach those around us with the message of Christ. 
For the witness of the world must always be bathed in prayer. It must begin with prayer. It must end with prayer. It must be covered in prayer the entire time. Because we need God's help at every turn. And to a great extent, that's what prayer is. It's, it's confessing that, that we can't do this alone. We know we can't do this alone. So we go to God and we say, help us do this so that you can be glorified. Help us do this so that, so that you can be honored through our lives and in what we say and do. As Paul's request makes very, very clear, prayer enables us to practice gracious speech. It's through prayer that we're able to be kind. We're able to be gentle in giving an answer. It's the way we witness. When we pray, our, our, our words are changed. When we ask God to direct what we're getting ready to say, what we say is changed. God's grace covers that. And our words are, are, are kinder and more compassionate and more understanding and more merciful, just as God is. So draw your attention back to verse 4 in, in, in today's passage. After saying in verse 3, Paul says, uh, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. And in verse 4 he goes on, he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Translation is a bit awkward in ESV, but basically he's saying, pray that I can explain the gospel clearly. Pray that I can explain the gospel with, with kind and compassionate words. Pray that I can correct error without being angry, without being upset, and without being uh, frustrated. Pray that I can use the words that, that, that Christ would want me to use in this moment. And then in verse 6 it says, So let your speech, speaking to them now about their own speech, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, it's the prayer that gets them to the point of being able to say, I, I can speak without answering in a way that, that I shouldn't answer. Paul's desire is for all of us, not just the Colossians, but for all Christians everywhere to, to, to speak in this way. Uh, James Dunn, a, a, a theologian, once wrote this. He said, This final exhortation explicitly envisages, I was going to mess up that word, this final exhortation explicitly envisages a church in communication with those around it, not cut off by a holy huddle. It's one of my favorite terms. Uh, so, a church not cut off by a holy huddle speaking only language of Zion to insiders, but one that is engaged in regular conversation with others in such a way as to allow plenty of opportunity to bear testimony to their faith. So basically what he's saying is this. The church is not a group of people that are walled off from the world. The church is not us sort of saying, okay, there's them out there and there's us in here. The church is not that. The church is us going from here out into the world and infiltrating it. Going out and reaching people where they are, connecting with them, demonstrating God's grace, love, and mercy, speaking His truth in ways that they can hear it, in ways that they can see it in the things that we do as well. Because because the fact is that our witness doesn't just require the prayer, and it doesn't just require the kind speech or the gracious speech, but it also requires it requires a conduct that is demonstrates who Christ is and what He's done for us. Christians should walk in a way that brings um, God's wisdom to light, to 
conduct themselves in a way that people go, there's something different about you. You're not responding the way I would think you should respond. You're not responding the way I would respond. Christians are walking away that, that bears witness to the salvation that they have in Christ. Because we're constantly being watched by unbelievers. Non-believers are watching the church and, and sometimes they're waiting for us to trip up. Maybe more often than not, they're waiting for us to trip up. They're waiting to see whether or not what we say matches what we do. Because sometimes, let's face it, human beings, what they say doesn't always match what they do. You know, for example, when, when, you're, when you're the parent of a young child, now if you don't yell at your kids, don't, I understand. But, but when, I was, when I had young children, the yelling was part of that uh, process of growing up. Uh, for me, as much for them. Um, and so when you've got young children, what, what will happen sometimes is you've got the kids arguing and they're fighting and they're yelling at one another. And what do you do when they're yelling at one another? You say, stop yelling at your... <laughs> right? See, you, you've, got this, you've got this conduct and it's not matching what you're asking them to do. It's not um, demonstrating what you're saying. Hey, this is how you're supposed to behave, but I get a pass because I'm your parent. So what Paul is saying here is your speech... And your conduct have to be alike. They have to be matching. They have to be something that, that people can look at the way you behave and look at the things that you say and go, hey, those things go together. They match. They make sense. But the fact is, when we don't do that, what happens is that people look at what we do and they go, oh, look, they say we're supposed to behave this way, but they're just hypocrites. They're just saying that. They don't even do it themselves. And so Paul makes this point very clear. Make your walk match your speech. And the only way for that to happen is to bathe it all in prayer. For your life to be connected to God on a regular basis. Um, for, for your words to pour out of you that demonstrate His grace and truth. And for your actions to demonstrate those same, the same grace and truth. So that everything you think, say, and do brings glory honor to him. This is the mystery that we have. We have this mystery now that Christ has saved us through his death and resurrection. Through sacrifice, death, and resurrection. And we now can go out and tell others about what he has done. So that they too may bow their knee and, and, and worship him just as we do. That's the mystery. That's the main mystery of life. That's it. You've got it. Now share it with those around you. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your coworkers. Share it with your friends at school. Wherever you might be. Share it with those around you. Now not all mysteries get to be solved, right? I mean, most mysteries in movies get to be solved. Or it wouldn't be a very good movie. The mystery of Gary and what he did for a living never got solved. It was never something we were able to solve. And eventually we all graduated and went our separate ways. And, and I don't know what happened to Gary. I like to think he's painting pretty pictures on a beach somewhere. Or maybe he's, like I said, a CIA agent who's off doing some covert operation. I don't know what he's doing. But, but those mysteries are, are less important than the mystery of Christ. The mystery that has been revealed to us about our salvation, about who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's the mystery that we must hold on to and not be sidetracked by all those around us each and every day. We pray all these things. Uh, we can pray with me, please. Let's just get ready to pray. 
Gracious Lord God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to be in this place. Thank you for the beautiful weather here. Thank you for each person who has joined us this morning. And we pray that uh, as you continue to work in our lives, as you continue to uh, mold us and shape us into who you are and who you call us to be, Lord, that, that you would keep us humble, help us to speak your words, uh, the words that, that, that you would speak to us when we're struggling. Help us to demonstrate uh, your grace and your truth and your mercy in the actions that we take, Lord. And in all these things, we pray that you would help us to stay faithful and, and remain steadfast in our lives in prayer. That we may be regularly connected to you and grow in the grace that you call us to grow in. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.